Brick Moon Fiction presents Requiem for a Prom Queen by Eric Del Carlo. Narrated by Nicholas Thurkettle. Dorgan missed the old days when a sociopathic kid could be relied on to show up at school with an AR-15, a few extra clips in the pocket, a blaze of glory grin, and proceed to inefficiently mow down a swath of school kids and teachers, probably not even hitting the ones that drove him or her to the act in the first place. All the machinery was already in place for that time-worn scenario. Stunned newscasters informing a stunned public, a frantic search for details, as if a flaw might be found which could undo the event, outrage directed at Congress in the form of demands for gun-regulating legislation, some kind of I'm-rubber-your-glue statement from the NRA, add thoughts and prayers, stir gently, wait for the next massacre. Good times. Predictable tragedy. You could set your calendar by school shootings. Now, though. Dorgan stopped himself from shaking his head. There were news cameras on the scene, and it wouldn't do for the detective in charge to be filmed standing there woefully shaking his head at the senseless carnage. He didn't want that piece of footage looped on the cable networks. He drew on his meager energies, pulled his backbone erect, and looked around. He was a veteran cop. He had skills. There was a police case here, and it had to be done by the numbers. Thirteen victims here, plus the presumed culprit, also dead, at location two, along with an additional victim. Sergeant Cassidy stood with Dorgan at the back of the school auditorium. Crime scene tape webbed the building. Everything had been photoed to a fare thee well. Then forensics had descended in a flurry of white hazmat suits. But that wasn't all of it. Not these days. Not at a scene like this one. The telekinesis crew was still mapping out residual lines of energy. They sprayed reactive chemicals, and eerie traceries of orange and yellow hung in the air. With their methods, they could even tell in which direction the flows had moved. Dorgan had spent years determining the directions in which bullets had been fired. He had reassembled chaotic aftermaths so thoroughly it was as if he'd been an eyewitness. It was an art. But the game had changed, and he still didn't know if he could change with it. He'd had half a dozen cases like this one now, and each one had unnerved him. They sapped his confidence. Once he had been Dorgan the Dragon, a relentless, insightful investigator. He could reconstruct any killing. He could figure out the hows and the whos, and oftentimes even the whys. His eyes felt grainy as they followed the colorful ropes of fog frozen on the air. They converged on the stage, where the principal no doubt had spoken in the past at school assemblies. Maybe it was where the theater department put up their fussy, earnest musicals and dramas, if the school had a theater department. Earlier tonight, though, it was where the prom queen and king had stood, newly crowned, with all the kids cheering, everybody dressed up, the spotlight bright. A zenith moment. Then it had all gone bad. And the prom queen had lashed out. Lashed out in that new way with powers that belonged only to this newest generation just coming of age. That generation scared Detective Omar Dorgan. He was at a time in his life when he was already acutely aware of the passing years. He had peaked. Crested. He was deep into the barrens of middle age now. The deteriorations of his body were evidence enough to mark the grim passage of time. He fatigued easily. His face was a study in crags and busted capillaries, but more, it was the newness and strangeness of this generation coming up behind him. These kids were different. 
They didn't just have their own music, their own pop heroes, their special way with language. Every fresh generation had those things and brandished them purposely to piss off and frighten the older folks. It was what some of these kids could do. The impossible, terrifying, supernatural powers a few could summon. It wasn't something that should be in this world. It wasn't anything he had trained as a cop to deal with. The presumed culprit, Cassidy was saying, is this girl. He held up a picture for Dorgan to see. A school snap. Sheepish-looking girl, trying to smile because the photographer had probably told her to. Her name's Violet. Violet Strauss. Dorgan nodded. He'd read the preliminaries, but he liked having the sergeant on hand to help keep things grounded. He looked again to the stage. Violet Strauss, newly crowned prom queen, standing up there before her subjects. And then mayhem had come to this auditorium, and blasting waves of psychic force had been unleashed. The crepe paper decorations and balloons and winking light strings had done nothing to stop a single powerful girl child intent on slaughtering her schoolmates. In thirteen instances, she had succeeded. Plus, there were the twenty-nine others who had been treated or were still hospitalized. Some had been injured by falling debris and by shrapnel glass when the heavy-duty glazed windows had all exploded inward. Others still had had dangerous brushes with the vortexes of force Violet had projected from the stage. It was the ones who'd taken direct hits who were dead. Dorgan entered the crime scene proper, stepping around the taped-off areas and occasionally ducking beneath the slowly dissipating lines of ethereal energy lingering on the air. Litter crunched underfoot. He forced his mind into a familiar, vigilant, receptive state. Dorgan the dragon saw all, knew all, like a soothsayer of old. He would figure it out. What had Violet Strauss done, down to the gruesome particulars? How had she gone about it, blow by blow? And finally, if he could manage it, why had she gone off like she had? He reached the stage and climbed onto it. Here was where the vaporous trails all converged. The girl, a high school senior, had stood here and blasted the crowd before her with her unholy abilities. She would have had a perfect field of fire, all the way to the exits at the back. Dorgan could start to see it. He could begin to hear the screams. He would have to come to understand Violet Strauss, would need to know her. Cassidy hadn't followed him up onto the stage. To himself, Detective Dorgan muttered, What's the matter, Violet? You couldn't just use a gun like a normal kid? Social media was where the first great harvest of information came from. That, too, was a thing relatively new to police work, but it was something Dorgan had adapted to. Everybody had a smartphone. Everybody, kids especially, chronicled everything they did and saw. Dorgan had all the authorization he needed to mine the data from every phone present at the prom dance. There was footage. Of course there was. While Violet was busy discharging death from the stage, a number of her classmates had apparently held up their camera phones and captured the whole thing. More than one of these recovered phones had belonged to one of Violet Strauss's victims. They had stood there and filmed the event, right up until the second they died. Dorgan had seen similar episodes before, but the scenes always chilled him. They seemed right out of a horror movie, the cheesy ones that had scared the piss out of him when he was 13 or 14. He watched and re-watched the footage in his office. He saw early moments at the dance, the happy young faces. The auditorium was sparkly and shiny in its full decorative glory. 
Music played and couples danced. You could feel the crackle of teenage magic in the air, a tincture of romance, an underlying current of hopeful sexuality, wholesome fun. Then, hell was loosed. Dorgan was examining multiple views of the event. It wasn't professionally shot footage, of course. Shaky cam cell phone video with a lot of overlapping noise. The time comes for the king and queen voting. One of the chaperones circulates through the prom attendees holding aloft an oversized hat. The votes get dropped in, then taken backstage for a quick tally. Five minutes later, they're ready to announce the winners. The woman who has come out looks a little dazed. Is she surprised by the outcome? Does it matter if she is? Nevertheless, he absorbed this fact. You observed everything at this point. Try to be present at the scene. She says that Caio Pina is king and Violet Strauss is queen. Dorgan heard audible gasps at the second name. No one, apparently, was startled that Caio was chosen. He was an almost preternaturally handsome high school senior. But Violet's name brought a shocked reaction on all the footages Dorgan viewed. Her? That pig? were a few of the appalled comments he could make out. He jotted notes. Kayo hadn't gone to the prom with Violet. His date had been a girl named Lydia, and she was among the dead. So was Kayo himself. And, of course, Violet had died afterward, away from the auditorium at location two. Who had taken her to the prom? Dorgan checked the report. A boy named Davy Wojcik. He had survived. Hadn't even been injured. A photo was attached. His was a gawky face, much pimpled, with gawping eyes and an underconfident chin. Frankly, he seemed more Violet's speed than Caiopina, if Violet even had a speed. But what had happened just after Violet and Caio were crowned, and just before the newly appointed queen went on her bloodthirsty psychic rampage? Dorgan slowed the footage down on his office computer. The POVs were bad, lots of bobbing heads in the way but he was able to see the woman who'd announced the winners place a plastic crown on each of the two heads. He froze on a clear shot of Violet just as she received this mark of royal office. A strange grin striped her face. It wasn't one of pure joy, he thought. Rather, there seemed something in it that was malevolent. A demonic rictus, almost. But maybe it was just the particular frame he'd paused on. Then came the commotion. Not the unleashing of the supernatural vortex, not yet. Something had occurred ahead of that. Dorgan studied the multiple feeds. Kayo, standing next to Violet, looked nonplussed, but he managed a smile and a wave as a reflexive cheer went up from the assembly. What had he thought of being paired up with her? Something was then flung up at the couple. It was heaved onto the stage, out of the crowd. At the same moment, the jostling disruption caused every filming phone to be jiggled, and the pictures blurred into incomprehensibility. Dorgan couldn't see what had happened. He ran the audio of each phone at that moment. He leaned forward at his desk, in his dim little precinct office, and strained to hear. It was crowd noise, chaotic and loud, but he caught one sharp phrase on one of the feeds. Where pig shit, bitch? Shrill, almost lost in the clamor picked up, no doubt, by the phone closest to the speaker. Slowly, Dorgan sat back. Chair springs groaned with the unhelpful weight he'd put on in the past few years. The blurry images now made sense. 
the sloppy spray of nameless matter flung at the prom queen. Pig shit. One of Violet Strauss's schoolmates had anointed her with pig filth right there at her moment of ultimate high school triumph. He opened a file folder on his desk. He looked at Violet's photo once more. A homely girl, no denying it. The image of a high school loser. Belonged to no clubs, according to the file. Played no sports. Probably had few, if any, friends. Her home life was no treat, either. There was only a single dad, who was an underemployed alcoholic, apparently. Yet somehow this girl had contrived to go to her senior prom on the arm of Davy Wojcik, and she had, by whatever miracle, been voted prom queen, along with one of the school's most popular boys. And someone had decided to shower her that night with a bucket of pig feces. He felt a pang of pity for her, despite the body count that she had racked up. In his office, alone, Detective Omar Dorgan let out a long, shaky sigh. He didn't like handling these cases. Children with lethal telekinetic powers. It unsettled him on a profound level. But there was still straightforward police work to be done. The next step was to interview the witnesses, the ones who had lived. It was a series of interviews in which he repeatedly asked 17- and 18-year-old trauma victims about pig shit. Everyone at the prom remembered the coronation, and those recollections lined up neatly. They admitted to great surprise that Violet was named Queen, and acknowledged that it was kind of weird that Caiopina's date, Lydia, wasn't given the title. But after the crowning, the stories varied wildly. Most were jumbled memories, full of sudden sense impressions, confusion, panic. The kids didn't like talking about it, and several broke down into tears and even hysterics. This didn't go over well when the interviews were conducted in hospital rooms. The medical staff intervened, and Detective Dorgan found out, not for the first time, that nothing in nature was as formidable as a nurse protecting her charges. A father built like a marine also threatened to pop Dorgan's skull off his neckbone if he made the man's daughter cry again. Nevertheless, he made some headway on the pig shit lead. When he asked if anyone had seen it flung at Violet, he got denials but several kids recalled, after he'd prompted them, the barnyard smell. They hadn't had time to process the anomalous odor before everything went haywire. One boy, whose leg had been shattered by a falling steel rafter, giggled uncomfortably every time Dorgan said the word feces, the way a five-year-old might. But there was wounded terror in his eyes. It was probably there for good. No one, of course, confessed to being the one who had thrown the shit. Dorgan had listened again and again to the snippet of audio. The words were present but barely discernible. No voice identification would be possible. One thing was plain, though. It was a premeditated act. Nobody shows up at prom carrying a container of pig shit by accident. His best guess at this point was that the receptacle had been planted earlier, maybe just underneath the stage, sealed so the smell wouldn't draw attention, and the perpetrator had retrieved her... The where-pig-shit-bitch-shouter was female, that much Dorgan could tell, bucket and slung the offensive matter onto Violet. No one was admitting to perpetrating this act. Dorgan's assumption was that whoever had done it had gotten the full blast of psychic rage and been reduced to a scattering of skin cells and bone nubs the size of gaming dice. The kids who'd only been grazed by Violet Strauss's indiscriminate torrents of energy looked like burn victims, only worse. It was as if their souls had been scorched in passing, and the affected parts of their bodies were warped and twisted. It was horrifying to see, 
but Dorgan had witnessed it over and over today during these interviews at the hospital. Back at his office, Sergeant Cassidy was on hand. Violet Strauss had no smartphone of her own, at least none under her own name. She had no social media accounts. I saw that, Dorgan said. The open files were spread across his desk. Very unusual these days. Perhaps the father wouldn't let her have any online contact. The sergeant wasn't trying to work the case for him. Cassidy was a 15-year man and content to remain a sergeant. Her dad was a boozer, Dorgan said. DUIs, drunken disorderlies. No medical history to indicate he ever abused Violet, but he couldn't have been fun to live with. Too bad we can't question him. Dorgan shot him a scowl. Too bad about a lot with this fucking case. Stuart Strauss had died in the shabby little cottage he rented and which Violet had called home for the past four years. It was designated Location 2. After the prom slaughter, Violet had made her way on foot back there and had barely detonated the place with an explosion of supernatural force, which had annihilated her and her father. Cassidy cleared his throat. Sorry, Detective. Dorgan sighed. Forget it. Long day. He stayed an extra hour in his office, examining the material he had. Violet Strauss had had a rough life. She'd evidently been disliked at school. That enmity must have been extreme for a classmate to plan to slop her with pig shit in front of everyone. That was humiliation on an epic scale. Maybe there'd been a whole cadre of school bullies who'd had it in for Violet for a long time. These were the whys of the crime. The hows and whos were fairly obvious. Forensics had determined the victims. Violet Strauss was one of those freakish genetic misfits who had started cropping up in the current generation which was just coming of age. Whether she had exhibited early signs of such powers would be difficult to document. Routine medical exams weren't set up to detect these mysterious traits. Maybe tests like that should become the norm, Dorgan mused tiredly. Find these kids early. Tag them. Learn just how much mayhem they can cause. And, if necessary neutralize them before they go off on a fatal spree. He was done with the hospital. By now, he tended to agree with the nursing staff and parents. Those kids had been through enough without having to listen to his dogged questions. But there were still outstanding interviews, prom attendees who had already been released from medical care or who hadn't required it in the first place. The lucky ones. Dorgan had one individual he wanted to focus on especially. Davy Wojcik, Violet's date. He drove out to the apartment building where the geeky 17-year-old lived with his paternal grandmother. The old lady looked exhausted, but wanted to be in the room for the questioning. Two minutes in, she had nodded out in a dumpy, dusty armchair, leaving Dorgan alone with young Davy. The boy's acne was as bad as it had looked in his photo. He had a glassy stare and sat stiff with anxiety. Dorgan used his gentlest manner, but it didn't appear to help. Nonetheless, the information started coming. So she asked you to the prom. Davy nodded jerkily. How did you feel about that? Lucky. Nobody else was going to ask, and I couldn't ask anybody. Dorgan noted the word, couldn't. This kid had all the self-esteem of a dung beetle. Dorgan himself hadn't been much of a winner in high school, but he hadn't been this bad. How did you feel about her getting picked as prom queen? I didn't expect it. Why not? Davy's face tightened. There was something vacant in his overall manner, 
like he was swimming upstream against difficult emotional currents. Dorgan wondered if he might be somewhere on the low end of the autism spectrum, undiagnosed, living in this rat hole apartment with his grandma, baffled by school, by life, by what had just happened at his senior year prom. Violet, he said slowly, isn't popular. Dorgan nodded and asked for specifics, particularly about anyone at school who noticeably disliked her, but the boy got vague in a way that said he was losing focus on the subject. How did his teachers deal with him, he wondered. How did you feel about not being picked king, Dorgan asked. It might be a prickly question for Davy. But the youngster suddenly brayed laughter. He held his skinny sides and finally said, Who? Who would vote me king? The grandmother didn't stir, despite the hullabaloo. Dorgan got out of there. He drove around the city, hitting all the interviews he had scheduled. Prom had been two days ago, a Saturday, and most of these witnesses hadn't gone back to school on Monday. Surely there would be a vigil of some sort. Flowers and other sentimental mementos were no doubt already piling up at that auditorium. News outlets kept leaving him messages on his voicemail, wanting statements, wanting to make him a part of the story. The afternoon wore on. At four, he had his final interview and drove to it without much expectation or enthusiasm. He wondered if he would feel this weary had the case been a simple shooter situation. Maybe at his age, with so much mileage on him, he would be just as spent by secular murder as by the mystical variety. The girl lived with her parents in a one-story Norman Rockwell, with a white picket fence and rhododendron in the front garden. The mother answered the front door. She regarded Dorgan with polite, measured distrust as she let him into the front room. As other parents had today, she began to lay out the parameters of his interview with her daughter, what he could ask, what he couldn't. He fought the urge to flash his shield and tell her to take a hike. But the girl herself intervened. Jalen Welker came into the room and put a hand on her mother's shoulder. It's okay, Mom. I'll talk to him. It'll be all right. She was a pretty girl. Dorgan could think that without it being creepy. She had a scrubbed clean freshness to her, bright features, cheerful eyes, despite the deer-in-the-headlights traumatic glaze he'd seen on the faces of the children throughout this investigation. The mother exited, and Dorgan sat down heavily on a couch. Jalen sat facing him, hands folded on her knees. He asked her about prom night, but it was like he was listening to someone else pose the familiar questions. They seemed to echo in his head, vaguely unreal. He wanted her witness account to add to the other confused and incomplete sketches of the terrible events. But Jalen paused and looked down at her hands, and her comely young face became grim. Dorgan waited, sensing a new vein of information. I knew Violet all the way back to grade school, she said. We were friends back then. We went to the same high school so that we'd still be together. But Violet changed in high school. She got moody and she withdrew. I made new friends, lots of friends. I tried to include Violet in my circle, and they also tried to welcome her. But Violet was having none of it. She stayed sullen and miserable. When she paused again, Dorgan asked gently, Do you know why she started behaving this way? Jalen looked up, anguish on her face now. I have to tell you something about Violet. Violet was awful. She was horrible. She did, did things to us. 
all of us who tried to be her friends. She had a, a power. Dorgan's pulse sped in a way that wouldn't have made his doctor happy, but his cop instincts told him this was important. Can you tell me more? Tears filled the girl's eyes. She would put these terrible images into our heads, just using her mind. At first, we didn't understand. We knew, you know, how some young people can do strange stuff. Violet, it turned out, was one of those. She would plant these ghastly thoughts in our minds. Babies being butchered, zombies, ghouls. She'd put dirty, dirty pictures in our thoughts. We couldn't do anything to stop her, even after we knew she was the one doing it. We begged her to leave us alone. I tried to remind her that we'd been best friends, but she had it in for all of us. She let on she was torturing us on purpose. She had this evil grin she would use sometimes. Dorgan recalled that freeze frame of footage he had viewed, Violet Strauss with a demon's rictus. A coldness spread through his gut. Jalen Walker continued, the tears spilling down both cheeks. It went on for years. She tormented us psychically. And what could we do? Who could we even tell? Then prom was coming. We were all looking forward to it. Violet confronted us. She told us she too was going to the prom, though none of us could figure out who would want to take her. She said, with that evil grin, that she was going to be prom queen and lord it over us and we would have to cheer for her. Well, that was the last fucking straw. She shot Dorgan a look, but he shrugged off the vulgarity. Nobody liked Violet, but it was because for years Violet hadn't let anybody like her. She was dingy and frumpy and sulky and dressed badly and had bad hygiene. Other students called her, well, pig. We started calling her that too, only behind her back. But this prom thing made us take action. We came up with a scheme to humiliate her, to get our revenge. There it was. Dorgan sank back into the couch, a dully aching middle-aged man who'd seen too much and couldn't quite handle this new world in which he found himself. But his police brain had it put together now. He had the whys. Violet Strauss wasn't the beleaguered victim. She was the bully. The sadist. She had come into her telepathic abilities with the onset of adolescence. Maybe the powers had unhinged her, driven her into the sociopathic behavior patterns. She had turned on her friend and singled out the popular clique her friend had fallen in with. She had gone to the damned prom and had manipulated the vote. It was why the woman who announced the winners had looked so dazed. Then one of the girls in Jalen's circle had enacted the ultimate vengeance and had paid the ultimate price. Violet Strauss's full powers had come into play that night. She wasn't just gifted in telepathy. She could tap into telekinetic abilities as well, affect matter in violent ways, emit maelstroms of deadly mental energy. Maybe Violet herself hadn't known she could do such things, not until a primal rage had taken over. Jalen had only survived by dumb luck. When Violet started pulling the ceiling down, Jalen had hidden behind some debris. What a grotesque tragedy, thought Dorgan the dragon. But he felt like the dragon puff in that old sad song, ready to slip into his cave with his head bent in sorrow. He handed in his report, it was a comprehensive piece of work. He could be proud of it, if he wanted to be. 
That evening, he drove out to the scruffy neighborhood where the Strauss family dwelling had stood. It was a blast crater, a mournful hole in the earth. Detective Dorgan dreamt of it in the night. It felt like a dream he'd had a hundred times already. He stood over the blackened rubble, and even though he knew exactly where Violet Strauss's hand was suddenly going to poke up out of the ruins and seize his ankle, when it happened, it still scared the living piss out of him. Eric Del Carlo has been selling his fiction for over two decades. His short stories have appeared in Asimov's, Strange Horizons, and many, many other venues. His novels, both solo and collaborative, have been published by Ace Books, Dark Star Books, Loose Id, and other houses. His latest book, The Golden Gate is Empty, written with his father, Vic Del Carlo, is currently available from White Cat Publishing. Eric is a native Californian and a Hurricane Katrina refugee. Find him on Facebook for comments and questions. This has been a production of the Brick Moon Fiction Podcast. If you like what you hear, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts as it helps us find a bigger audience. For more information on Brick Moon and special offers, sign up for the Brick Moon Fiction newsletter at brickmoonfiction.com. Thank you for listening.